0: Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And here's a real key verse. Verses. Therefore do not worry, in verse 31, saying... What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's pray. Father, we have so many choices in our life, so many decisions. And Lord, we don't want to make one wrong decision that displeases you. That is our heart. That's the reason why we're gathering here on a Friday night when we could be out partying with our friends, doing dumb things, doing fun things. But Lord, we consider you to be the most important person in our life. And we believe that your will is the most important thing we could be seeking. So Lord, we seek your will in seeking your kingdom. And we pray that you would bless us, illuminate us to the knowledge of you. So that we have a greater love and greater appreciation for for you lord in jesus name we all said amen so once again we have so many choices in life it can go down to the the food that you're eating one of the most decision uh, difficult decisions that i have to make on a daily basis is what to eat it's so hard i don't want to eat fast food anymore because it doesn't sit well with my stomach so now i got to think am i going to get pizza Am I going to get sushi? Am I going to get hamburgers? Am I going to get breakfast? Now if I'm going to get a hamburger, what kind of burger am I going to get? You ever go to a supermarket, you have to buy groceries? Probably not because you're all teenagers, but let's just say in the rare chance that you have to buy groceries, you go in and you say, Lord, what kind of peanut butter should I buy? Should I buy the mashed up kind? Should I buy the whole peanut kind? Should I buy the grinded up kind? I don't know. And then they have almond butter. They have cocoa butter. All kinds of butter. And you might stand there in the, in the shopping center and say, Lord, would you please show me your will? Because this decision could change the course of my life. You probably don't pray prayers like that when you're making those small decisions. But those decisions can lead to bigger decisions. Which can cause us to reflect And ask the Lord Lord what do you want me to do because we have so many different selections it's not like we live in a poor country where you have a choice of rice beans the end it's like what kind of rice do you want you want fried rice you want yellow rice you want Spanish rice you want what kind of rice do you want I don't know just give me rice I just want to eat the rice okay is that enough but the problem is, we have so much information, but no one actually tells us what we should do, what we should choose. We have Siri, who can answer all of our questions. We have Google, type in whatever question you have. But Siri and Google can show you, sh- can show you a range of choices, but they can't tell you what to choose. You know how many times I've tried? I said, Siri, who should I marry? Doesn't respond. Doesn't give me the answer I'm looking for siri would you tell me where am i to go to school i give you a, a list of schools but i can't tell you what you yourself should choose and so important decisions like this can cause us to be desperate to even ask siri to even type in google who should i marry to look it up because we want the answers and we feel like sometimes we don't have access to those answers and so that can even cause us to use the Bible like Google or like Siri. And you're just flipping through. Randomly, you're almost, you're, you're like using Bible roulette. You're just like, Lord, show me your will. And you just flip and you're like, here we go. It says, for the ear test words and the palate taste food. Wow. Job 34.3. And you take verses out of context because you're just flipping around hoping that you land on what God wants to show you. But actually, this has roots in paganism. Back in the day, they would use divination. They would actually, uh, way back when, they used to take, um, I think it was a pig. I don't remember. They would take some kind of animal. They would slice it open, take out its liver, and watch it to see where it moved. And based on the movement of that liver, they would tell the future and tell what they should do. And we still refer to this in our day, in our language, by saying we have a gut feeling. That's actually where it comes from. So a lot of people have done a lot of weird things over the years. And, it, and the dangerous thing is we can, we can almost be tempted to take that kind of, that kind of uh, genie searching and divination into the scriptures. Which is not biblical. It's not what God has called us to do. He didn't cause us to look at all these different numbers and how they fit They can be helpful, but that's not the purpose of the scriptures. Sometimes we we try to read in between the lines too much and don't actually read the lines. I remember my very first mission trip in Hungary in 2003. We were praying out on the balcony, and it was a powerful move of the Spirit. You know, we were worshiping, the guitars were going, people were singing with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and we had a period of waiting on the Lord, kind of like what we had earlier today. And as everyone's praying... We're praying for God to just move in a powerful way. We're praying that the Lord would move in our, our lives. As everyone's just silent before the Lord, I'm praying, Lord, I want to date this girl. And if, if you want me to date this girl, I pray that you would just send a flash of lightning right now. And of course, it's a thunderstorm. So what are the chances of lightning flashing? So then I'd see a flash of lightning and say, yes. Okay, but, but if I'm really going to be sure, you need to do it again. And uh, it was definitely not God's will that I would date that person. And it's just funny, t- in my mind, everyone's like, we need to change the world. I'm like, I want to date someone, <laughs> change my world. Sorry. <laughs> so it goes back to that question when you ask God to show you his will, how do you expect him to answer you? A flash of lightning? Bible roulette? A still small voice? Well, actually, there's something called the bullseye theory of God's will. And what it says is, there is God's will. It kind of looks like a target, and right in the center is where you want to be. That's God's perfect will, right in the center of God's will. But it can be possible to miss God's perfect will. And then you get God's permissive will. You get right in around, you know, 50 points, 100 points, whatever. But you haven't hit the targets of what God has for you. And so we have a misunderstanding that God's hiding this perfect plan, and if we don't find it, we'll miss the blessing. Now, when I say missing out on God's perfect will, I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about everyday decisions. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying, like, whether you're unequally yoked or you're dating someone God has you to call, because then you could possibly miss out on what God has for you. That's definitely true, but I'm talking about everyday decisions that aren't necessarily wrong if you make them, but you're just afraid of making a decision that God himself cannot fix. But that simply is not biblical. You see, the desire to figure out God's perfect plan can come from good motivations. Perhaps it's because you've looked at your life and you've seen how even the most minuscule of decisions have led up to big changes in your life. I remember one of the most important decisions I've ever made in my life was to go on the 2011 Dominican Republic missions trip. I went with some of you guys back in the day. That's my very first uh, missions trip as a leader. And I did it because uh, up until that point, I told Andy, because Andy would be like, you got a free ticket to the Dominican because someone will drop out. And i would like, no, I don't. Because I was like, I don't want to be a leader to like these kids and be responsible for the lives in a different country. That's literally what I thought. I was like, that's a huge responsibility. I don't want to do that. Um, so that's what I'm thinking. And I told Andy and I told God a number of times, if God wants me to go on a missions trip like that, he needs to make it really obvious for me. So it came around to that time in 2011. I was like really at that point where I was growing and being nurtured in the word. And I remember Andy asking me, so you're going on a Dominican Republic trip? And I said, well, God has to make it very obvious to me. And Andy's like, what do you want me to do? You want me to get on my knees? You want me to beg? And I was like, you know what? I think all this time I've been saying that God has to show up in this miraculous way, but I haven't actually considered in prayer whether God wants me to go. And so I figured, I was like, you know what? There is no downside to doing this. Why don't I just see what the Lord does? And because of that mission trip, I think that's one of the determining factors for me actually coming on staff here. All these years later. So I look at that and I'm like, wow, if I made a different decision, I might not even be at this church right now. That's very interesting. And so because of that, we're afraid of making the wrong decision. Or you may hear testimonies of others and how they heard the voice of God speaking to their lives in a very clear, unmistakable way. And you are looking for that kind of experience too. I was at a church where I heard a pastor talk about how the Holy Spirit spoke to him in a conversation And he didn't say whether whether it's audible or not, but he was saying, like, I was in my room and and the Holy Spirit told me all these things. And it wasn't a rebuking spirit, it was a gentle spirit. He's, like, describing this entire conversation. And then he ends with, but it wasn't audible, but it was almost audible. And so I'm just really confused because I'm thinking, like, so what am I supposed to expect when I pray, Lord, show me your will, and I'm expecting him to answer? How would I expect him to answer uh, my questions? Well, I think the first thing we need to know is that we can know God's will through his word. This right here, this Bible, is God's revealed will for us. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anything that you could possibly want to know about God is written here right in this book. So if we know this book, we can know God's heart. Just like if you have a friend and you know their heart, you can know what they desire and you know what they want for you. If you know your parents, you have a good relationship with them, you know how they feel towards you and what their desires for you are. And you might even be choosing a college and you're like, well, I want to go to this college, but I know my dad doesn't want me to go because this, this, and this. Because you've known them for so long. Well in the same way you can get to know your heavenly Father just by studying his scriptures. And although it may not say, go to Columbia University, you can know how to make a good decision based on what he's prescribed in his word. And Scripture shows that we can know his, his will and his heart, as it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter two verse nine says, "I has not seen nor ear heard." Nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, that would seem, if you just stop right there, like you can't know. But God has all these awesome plans that He's preparing for you. It says, though, in the next verse, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. So, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those. So once again, to know what God desires, we need to know his heart, which comes from the revelation of his word. Everyone knows 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love what Bruce Waltke said. He's an author of a book on the will of God. He said this, To the many Christians who spend time trying to divine the will of God, I ask, how much time have you spent reading the Bible? To know what pleases God, what his desires are, you must know his heart. And to know his heart, you must draw close to him. Reading his personal message to his people is the best way to know him. Those serious about their walk with God will spend time listening to his message. But here's an objection maybe you have. Well, how can I expect the Bible to tell me who I'm supposed to marry if Susie's name is not in the Bible? How can I expect God to speak to me from his word if, you know, the guy from One Direction, Harry Smith, whatever, his name's not in the Bible? Well, actually, there are very few verses that actually talk about the will of God for us in particular, actually, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, this is what it says, right? This is the will of God. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's what the Bible says about the will of God. Be thankful. What does God want me to do? Be thankful. Yeah, but what does he want me to, do? like, go out and, and— He wants you to be thankful. Okay, I, get, I guess I can try that. Why don't you be thankful first before you want to go out and do stuff? It says again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So you might be thinking, well, that's it. Why aren't there specifics regarding God's will? Why doesn't it tell me all these little details that I want to know? Well, you see, God wants you to be a person that, that chases after his heart. God wants you to be a type of person that's sanctified holy and to be likened unto him god intends us to be a people that knows his heart seeks his kingdom and trusts his providence i'll I'll say that again so that you can write that down god intends us to be a people that knows his heart seeks his kingdom and trusts his providence that's how you can know if you're in the will of god do you know his heart do you seek his kingdom And do you trust his providence? And that's the verse that we read to begin all of this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 and 33. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Why do you say that? Because the disciples would think, oh, man, what are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? How are we going to travel this place? Well, yeah, I know God's calling me out to this place, but we don't have the funds. We don't have the resources. How are you ever going to, I don't know. And what Jesus is saying, he doesn't say that, why are you thinking about food? Why are you thinking about clothing? He says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But your concern isn't supposed to be on all the small details. Your concern is to be seeking his kingdom And as you seek his kingdom, he provides for you. And that's why I said, you know his heart, know him, trust him, seek his kingdom, and trust that he's going to take care of the rest. That's what providence is. It's God's ability to provide in unlikely means. So when we talk about looking to scripture for guidance, we're not talking about using mystical powers not talking about taking scripture out of context and ripping it out and saying, all right, this fits my situation. We're talking about reading God's word to know what really pleases him. I remember years ago I was at a purity seminar and there was a woman who was speaking and she was talking about how you need to know that the person that you're going to marry is confirmed by scripture. Like scripture had to speak to you about the person that you're going to marry. And she said, well, God gave us a verse to confirm that we're supposed to get married. Because my fiance, well, my husband, but back when he was just dating me, he was like going through this process where he's just like, Lord, should I really like, should I marry her? I don't really know. And then he starts reading the scripture and first, I think it's First Corinthians, where it says, finish the work you started a year ago. And it was that day that we started dating the year prior. So that's when he knew. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if that's supposed to be how I hear God's voice, I'm in trouble because I don't think that's ever happened to me. Well, I'm not shooting that down saying that they're they're married out of God's will or anything. I'm just saying sometimes we put our all of our hopes and, and dreams and efforts into finding something in the scripture that was not meant to be there. Instead, when you read the Bible, you're not looking to find yourself, you're looking to find Jesus. What is the purpose of Scripture? To tell you what you're supposed to eat, to tell you what you're supposed to drink, or what you're supposed to wear, where you're supposed to go to college. No, the purpose of scripture is a theological treatise. In other words, it's a book about Jesus. The book's not about you. And in reading this book, you're going to know God's heart and his desires for you. I love what Kevin DeYoung said. He said, the purpose of holy scripture is not ultimately to make you smart or make you relevant, or make you rich, or get you a job, or get you married, or take all of your problems away, or tell you where to live. The aim is that you might be wise enough to put your faith in Christ and be saved. So the purpose of this is to place our faith in Jesus, not so that we're going to find out, like, the perfect job. Because some of us can almost be tempted to be in that self-help position. We're reading those books as the best life now, for you now, and it's, it's not about you. You can know what God thinks about you by reading this book, yes. And we will need those times of encouragement, of course. But in reading this book, we'll ultimately get to know God. So first of all, we want to know his heart, which means we need to develop a heart for God. God wants us to know, seek, and trust. And we want to develop a heart for God. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So just like in any relationship, the more you spend time with someone the more you will be able to get to know that person's heart and that's why it's so important as we spoke last week to be in the word every single day if you go a week without talking to your best friend you have a lot to catch up on but sometimes we go a week without talking to god and we give him another five minutes ten minutes you will never be able to catch up i got to catch up with john d'angelo this morning he says hi by the way and, uh, and just talking to him is so encouraging to hear his heart and see all the things that God's been teaching him. And it felt like we needed to talk for an hour. So we did. We talked for like a good hour about all the things that we missed out on. But some of us were just like, yeah, I haven't been reading. So you need to just flip in and you just, you know. No, to get to know someone, you need to spend time with that person. A.W. Tozer has these things that he's noted down in the past called marks of a spiritual man. So this is how you can know if you're developing a heart after God. I'm just going to read three of them today. And if you want more of them, you can look it up on Google later. But it says, number one, desires to be holy rather than happy. A spiritual man is a person who desires to be holy rather than happy. Happiness is great, but it's fleeting. Ultimately, what you want to do is just be more like Jesus because you know that's what's going to give you joy. Secondly, desires to see the honor of God advance through his life desires to see the honor of God advance through his life, even if it means suffering temporary dishonor or loss. Can you imagine what it would look like for a person to be so sold out for God that they would desire to see God's kingdom advance, even if it means they themselves are dishonored or suffer loss. Just imagine what that would look like in your school if you don't care about your reputation. You say, I've been crucified with Christ. And the world's lost all interest in me, and I lost all interest in the world too. I just want to know him and know his his crucifixion. I want to know what that means for my life so that I can live in that same manner. And then the fourth one, I, uh, the third one I'm going to mention tonight is sees everything from God's viewpoint, sees everything from God's view, viewpoint. A person who really develops a heart after God will be able to align his eyes with God's eyes so that when people are calling your names, people are gossiping about you, you know, it hurts for a little bit, but you're like, you know what, this is, this is temporary. When you look from God's vantage point, all of a sudden, all those things aren't really that significant anymore, and you can go and be bold for Christ in your school. You can go and be bold for Christ in your community, because you're like, you know what, no one's gonna care in five years, even if I'm the most fanatical Christian, even if I'm the most embarrassing person, where I show up to, to school like a a full-out full, full out Bible geek. I got John 316 on my hat. I got that corny t-shirt. I have a really, you know, boring Facebook page and, and terrible-looking website. And I'm handing out gospel tracts that look really dumb, but I'm just sharing the gospel 24-7. People aren't going to think about you in five years. They're going to think about Jesus. Hopefully. If you've made a mark on them. But in five years, people are so bored. Even if You're having the worst day and people are making fun of you. People aren't thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. People are too selfish. So see things from God's viewpoint. I love what it says in in Psalm chapter 37 verse 4. To delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You see, as you align your heart with God's heart, God gives you those desires because they're the desires he gave you. So you're like, wow, my prayer is answered. Of course it was answered because that's what God wants for you. And you want what God wants for you. So develop a heart for God. Secondly, seek his kingdom. So many of our decisions could be easily made if we stopped and simply asked, whose kingdom am I seeking? Am I looking to glorify my name or glorify the Lord's name? That's something that's always convicting for me because I'm that type of person that just wants to be successful. I'm a person that wants to be recognized. And that's one of the reasons why I thought I would never be a pastor. I just just honestly, I was like, number one, who's going to listen to me? Number two, I feel like I'm too full of pride and so full of myself that this could only end up badly for me. And one of my pastor friends actually encouraged me by saying, don't worry, God will find ways to humble you. But it's always healthy to ask yourself, whose kingdom am I seeking? Whose kingdom, kingdom am I building? Sometimes we look at borderline issues, gray matters, and say, well, it's not really bad to do this. It's not really bad to text this girl. It's really not bad to, to you know, smoke this or to, to curse or, I mean, is there's really anything bad about that. But that's the very lie that Satan himself asked uh, Eve back in the garden. Did God really say? And so many times we are so concerned about the letter of the law and trying to just sneak by when our concern should be not on not sinning. Our concern should be pleasing Jesus. And as we seek his heart, seek his kingdom, we're not going to care about those secondary issues. I don't care about whether I'm going to rate an R movie or not. I'm not going to care whether I'm allowed to go to that party or not. I'm going to say, does this Bring glory to Jesus. Everything else, I don't care. And thirdly, you trust his providence. That's why he says, your heavenly father knows you need all these things. And many times when we worry, we're trying to take things into our own hands. It's been said that worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but gets you nowhere. And many times we're worried about things that are out of our control. Why are you worried about what cause you're gonna get? like i've shared this a billion times but it's worth repeating i remember recording a prayer when i was taking a year off of college in between uh the two schools i was going to and i recorded this prayer saying lord do you want me to be an actor photographer or do you want me to be a musician those are your three options choose one i told him that because i was like i have to make a decision because i'm going back to school and i'm going to waste a lot of money Going to a school for a major, I'm not going to use. But you know what? God used it. I got a degree in public relations, and I still use those skills, even if I'm not in that role right now. And just, if I can be honest with you, ask anyone who's been through college. Most of the time, the thing they go to college for is not what they end up doing anyway. So sometimes we get so caught up in those things, but we're forgetting that God himself is in control. He's sovereign. And that means that no matter how big your decision may seem, you are not powerful enough to thwart God's plans. Job chapter 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. So stop worrying. Why are we so worried? Why are you so concerned? Trust the Lord that when you make a decision, if you're abiding by his rules, you're seeking his kingdom, You're knowing his heart. You make that decision. You can trust he's going to provide, and he's going to be able to direct you. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord what? Directs his steps. That's it. You guys know this. So let me give you four guidelines to making a good decision, and then we're going to close this thing out. Four guidelines. Very practical ways that you can know how to make a good decision. First of all, search the scriptures. Number two, single out your preference. Number three, seek wise counsel. And number four, submit to God's sovereignty. Search the scriptures, single out your preference, seek wise counsel, submit to God's sovereignty. So, so far what we've done is we've gone over the heart that we're all supposed to have in asking God these questions. In asking God, how do I make a good decision uh based on your heart your word etc now here are the four practicalities of how that works out so besides um besides all the things that we talked about so far in knowing god's heart seeking his kingdom and trusting his providence now these are the four ways that we can make good decisions first of all search the scriptures Psalm 119 verse 101 through 102 says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. It's important to remember that scripture gives us guidelines that we're to adhere to. So wherever scripture is clear, we have to follow where scripture leads us. So you can have a lot of questions easily answered just by knowing scripture and what God has laid out for us. For instance a decision about dating an unbeliever. No, that is not God's will for you. How do you know that? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says that you are not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, just because you see God permitting things does not mean that that's what he wants you to do. That doesn't mean it makes God happy. God can redeem anything. God can even re- redeem the fact that someone can kill someone. That doesn't mean you should go kill someone. That's not what God wants you to do. Maybe a decision about forgiving someone who you know will hurt you again. Like, well, I don't really know. Does God want me to forgive this person? Yes, Matthew chapter eighteen, verse twenty-two. If your person, your friend, uh, your neighbor harms you seven times, you forgive them seven times. Seventy times seven. Secondly, besides searching the scriptures, we want to single out your preference. James chapter one, verse five says, "If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God." who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now we know that wisdom is actually a virtue that God gives us. It's a character trait for a person who can make good decisions. That's what that Greek word means. Douglas Moo, a commentator, writes, Wisdom is above all a practically oriented virtue that gives direction for the life of the godly person. So when you ask God of wisdom and he gives to you liberally and without reproach, that wisdom is a virtue that enables you to be able to make good decisions. So that's why I'm saying single out your preference because as you seek the Lord for wisdom he will give you an ability to be wise so you can make good decisions but based on your choice. You have the ability to God has given you a reason a rationale so you can choose things that you want to do if it's within scriptures and the other things that we're going to talk about. But just like On the piano, there are no right or wrong notes in and of themselves. There are only right and wrong notes in regard to the key that you're playing in. Some of us are like, which note should I play? Well, it depends. What key are you playing in? Think about that like your choices. Your choices can be right or wrong depending on their circumstance, but you are free to choose what key you want to play, just like if you're in a band. Oftentimes, God doesn't give you direction for the future in the specifics because God wants to be your direction. I love what Stephen Furtick said he says he's trying to teach you how to walk by faith and most of all his greatest ambition in leading you into greater things isn't that you would know what to do it's that you would know who he is wisely said thirdly seek wise counsel almost done seek wise counsel Proverbs 12 verse 15 says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but he who heeds counsel is wise it's a smart thing. After you've searched the scriptures, okay, is what I'm doing biblical? And then you've chosen your preference. You're not letting other people decide for you. But are saying, what is God speaking to me and what do I want to do? Then you can choose uh, to seek wise counsel. It's, it's good to get other people to speak into your life. So if I'm choosing a college, I'm not going to have other people choose for me because they're not me. They don't know, like, I'm not going to be like, all right, here's my decision. Now just make it for me because that's not using the wisdom that God has given you. But it's good to look at your parameters and ask people that have gone before you how to uh, go about your decision making. Proverbs 15 verse 22 says, Without counsel, plans go awry, 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 but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Now here's a question. What kind of counsel should you be seeking? What kind of person? Well, I would say three things. Older, spiritually mature, and similar experiences. If you can find someone like this. If you get two out of three, great. Older, spiritually mature, similar experiences. Why do I say that? Well you want someone older than you, someone who's gone the way before you because just because older people are always wiser than you. I always ask people that are older and wiser than me, people that I can speak into my life so that I'm not just in my head. And just quite frankly, because when people are in the same situation as you, they don't know what to do either. So then if any, they give you any advice, most of the time it's going to be off the cuff, and you're going to follow it and like, well, I can't trust that person ever again. Well, you can trust that person. They just didn't know what to do either. Spiritually mature. You want to make sure they're in the scriptures, not just an older person, but a person who has uh, experience in the scripture, and then a similar experience too. Because sometimes you might be a musician, and you're asking a person who's never done any music stuff, for some advice on what you should do musically, but they just don't have the ability or capacity to give you that kind of experience and give give you that kind of advice. So all those three things should help you. And if you get two out of three, that's great, but you gotta be careful not to shop for counsel. What does that mean? Well, sometimes what we'll do is we want to find the people that tell us what we wanna hear. And the minute someone tells us something we don't want to hear, we're like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. So we look for the person that will confirm so that we can blame that person when our decisions lead us the wrong direction. That is bad. When you have a person tell you something, always put scriptures number one in your decision making. That's it. Just the first thing, but it's good to have someone to back you up too. So the last thing is that you submit to God's sovereignty. I love what James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15 says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. So what this means is, you have those three criteria first search the scriptures you single out your preference you seek wise counsel and then at the end of it you're, you're submitting the rest of god saying god you have permission to override any decision i make wherever you want me to go lord i'm yours and i'm going in this direction but if you want to reroute me you're welcome to do so and he does and that's just a healthy way of not being arrogant and your decision making and say, well, I'm doing this regardless of what anyone thinks. Because sometimes we can get like that. Well, of course God has to use me in my musicianship. Of course God has to use me in this gifting. He's given it to me. And all such arrogance is uh, shameful and sinful. We need to remember that God created us for a purpose and he can do what he wants. Now here are some objections before we close. Some people might look at Gideon you know, in Judges chapter 6, and say, well, hold, hold on. Gideon put out a fleece, not just once, twice, and he asked God to, like, make it dry, make it wet, and God listened. Well, like, yes, but that was actually a bad example of what we're not to do. Just because it's described in the Bible doesn't mean it's prescribed. How do I know it's a bad example? Well, look at what happened to Gideon's life. Gideon was a person who so doubted the Lord that it actually ends up Uh, hurting him in the end because he actually raises up idols for himself. So Gideon is that person who's, I don't know, I'm kind of weak, I don't think I can do this. And the whole way he's doubting God, but God in his grace meets him where he's at. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to seek after the signs. In fact, Matthew chapter 16 verse 4 says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So don't be seeking for the signs, like sometimes we'll do that. And God is gracious. I, like, I think I mentioned this before, but I had a friend who's like, oh man, I, like, he, was, he was an atheist. And he was like, dude, like I went to Sovereign Bank and I flipped in the scriptures. And like all of a sudden it said like Sovereign Lord. I knew he was speaking to me. Like, Great. Awesome. And that's what it's going to do. Like praise the Lord. But don't look for those kinds of things. Well, you might say, what about the times of the Bible when people are given divine revelation? What about Peter? What about uh, uh, Samuel when he heard the voice of the Lord in his bedroom? Well, think about it. Were they looking for God to speak to them? Samuel wasn't. Peter wasn't. When when Peter had that vision and then he saw all the meat products in front of him and God's like, eat this, all that stuff. Peter wasn't looking for it. He was just kind of doing his thing. And and so I'm not saying divine revelation doesn't happen. Obviously it does. But the people that find it in the Bible usually aren't looking for it. Now, what about the peace of God? People talk about God giving you a peace. And it talks about in Colossians 3, verse 15, that you're to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Well, first of all, that verse isn't talking about decision-making. It's talking about unity of the brethren. Second of all, although I will say from personal experience that God will give you a peace when you're following his will, that's not something that you're supposed to base all of your decision-making on. That can be like the last thing. Above everything else, when you know that it's in the scripture, you sought wise counsel, then you can check your, your spirit and see if the Lord is giving you a peace. But I wouldn't say that like, just because you have a peace, uh, that, that must mean what God wants you to do. You need to learn the voice of the Lord, and that can be a tricky thing to do. Obviously, Jesus was not in peace when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. You know, he was sweating blood, yet he was still doing the will of the Lord. And also, we have to be careful not to assume that perfect conditions equal providence. Just because things are worked in just the right way, and we have just the right numbers, and just the right signs and symbols, does not mean that God wants you to do a certain thing that you're assuming. Just like David, think about this. David had perfect conditions to kill Saul when Saul was hiding in a cave. Yet, it was not God's will that God uh, that David would take his life. So in conclusion, I would just say, more than anything, you, you have the right heart now. You know that you're supposed to be uh, knowing God's heart, seeking his kingdom, and trusting his providence. You have four good guidelines. You're searching the scriptures. You're singling out your preference. You're seeking wise counsel, and you're submitting to God's sovereignty. All those things, but... Let me just end with this. I remember Andy Dean. We were going through one of these books. There's a number of different resources. If you want to ask me later, I'll tell you. But like Haddon Robinson has a book, Decision Making by the Book. Kevin DeYoung has a book called Just Do Something. And Bruce Walkie has Finding the Will of God. It's great books, great resources on decision making. But as we were going through one of these books with Andy two years ago, I remember Andy was like, he was so rocked by this. He was like, this is amazing. Like, I felt like uh, there's so many people that have led me in the wrong direction, and now I know how to make a good decision based on the Bible. And so he wanted to teach a message, and it's one of his, better, uh, one of his best messages he's ever taught here, in my opinion. Um, and he was preparing for this message. It's so funny because as he's preparing for this message, um, to teach on the will of God, he was going to use as an example the fact that he was selling a house, or he was trying to buy a house, rather. And he was trying to buy a house that was closer to the church. And it seemed like at first maybe God was closing the door because the price shot up out of nowhere. And he's like, well, even though it may seem like the price is shooting up, that doesn't mean God is closing the door. Is this still a good decision? So he, he didn't panic. He didn't freak out. He was just like, okay, I'm not going to be, you know, really weird about this. I'm going to ask, Lord, is this still a good decision? So he's like, it is a good decision. But then the door completely closed. And then an hour later, he gets a call from the director of Calvary Chapel Bible College who asks him if he wants to take the job to be the director of the Bible College in California. An hour later. So then, as we're talking about this, I was like, yeah, what do you think about that? He's like, I don't know, man. It's like, I think that just goes to show you, like, God can do whatever he wants. And I think... (laughs) I think it's so funny because, like, as he's about to teach this message about, like, making good decisions, it's like God's just like, "And eh, I'm just going to do something that just amazes everybody. And, and so, like, Andy, like, ended that. He's like, I was going to use this as, as an example, but don't, don't look for that because it doesn't always happen. But it happened for me. It was just funny. Listen, if God wants to do something, it's going to happen. Bob Caldwell is a, a pastor, a Calvary chaplain in Boise, Idaho. He found Jesus while he was high. And he was a hippie. He was a hippie that was just totally just strung out on all these kinds of different drugs and whatever. And he saw one of his his testimony. You can look it up on YouTube if you want. Or I'm sure he has a recording somewhere. Um, While he was like meditating with one of his gurus. Like a picture of one of his gurus. His guru told him in this vision that he had while he was like strung out. He's like, you need to follow Jesus. He's like, all right. And then he just stopped. (laughs) it can happen weird i wouldn't say that you should go get high so you can like follow jesus just circumvent all that stuff and just get to know jesus but our focus is is seeking god's kingdom first and god will take care of the rest so what does god want you to do he wants you to rest in what he has already done on the cross for your sins and leave the rest to him and know that if god wants you to know something he will reveal it to you as you seek him Let me close out with this verse. Isaiah 45, verse 19. The NLT uh, puts it beautifully when it says, I publicly proclaim bold promises, God speaking. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would have not told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right.